Good evening uh, to those of you. Good evening. <laughs> I love it when a plan comes together. Uh, for those of you here to, this morning, it's good to see you again. Uh, for those of you who weren't, it's good to see you here tonight. Um, before we go to the Father in prayer, uh, obviously we want to welcome everybody. If you're a guest, there's uh, blue cards in front of you. Please feel free to um, fill one of them out, but hang around afterwards, uh, shake hands, and uh, we're a handshake and high-fiving congregation here. Uh, consider this your home. We're glad to have you here. You're an honored guest. Um, before we go to the Father in prayer, um, as we go into this weekend, it's you know Memorial Day, and a lot of my brothers and sisters are buried in graves around the world because they sacrificed. They gave not just to us, but to the world, their lives, so that uh, we could be freer and safer. So as we uh, go through this weekend, and uh, as we celebrate tomorrow, however you do it, please keep in mind that uh, our men and women who give so much and those who uh, gave their life are uh, a blessing that sometimes as a country we take for granted. So that being said, let's go to the Father in prayer. Father, we're blessed in so many ways, and we know it all comes from you, and for that we are so grateful. We're grateful, Father, for the blood of our Savior who willingly went to the cross to pay a debt, our debt, and a debt that he did not owe, that we can have eternal life and eternal hope. Father, we're grateful for the men and women who serve us each and every day, those who put their lives on the line, and especially for those who gave their life that uh, we can be free, we can be safe, and the world can be a better place to live. Father, as we congregate here tonight, as we, as we worship and, and praise you, we know um, some of our uh, congregation are, are ill or sick or, or traveling. Father, regardless, we, we pray that you'll be with them, you'll keep them safe, you'll heal them, and bring them back to us at a time that uh, is determined by you. We also pray, Father, that uh, this weekend, a weekend that sometimes gets hectic, that we all uh, take this extra second and slow down so that nobody gets hurt. We pray that uh, everything that is done this weekend is, is safe and that we all uh, survive the weekend and go back to work and then come back here to our following appointed times. Also tonight, Father, please help us open our hearts and minds that all that is said is not only heard but put to use in our hearts and our minds as we leave here and take back to our homes and our families. Father, we pray that you'll be with us, guide us, and protect us, and forgive us all of our sins, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.
706. That'll be the song after the message this evening, 706. Turn your Bibles to the book of Exodus, please. To the book of Exodus. We're going to be going through some of the things in the book of Exodus. Let me ask you a quick question. This is not for 
verbal answer. This is just for you to think about. When you say, I trust you, or someone comes up to you and says, I don't trust him as far as I could throw him. You've heard that before. What does that mean? What does that mean? What does trust mean? And how do we decide how much to trust a particular individual or particular inanimate objects? And we'll talk about those kinds of things. How do you decide how much you're going to trust somebody? Because when you start trusting in somebody or something... Being earthly, those things can easily not meet your expectations. We're not perfect people. And you might trust me to do something or to be something, and I'd let you down because I'm not quite up to your expectation of that. There's a lot of stuff that we could talk about with trust. But tonight, I want you to focus on one particular kind of trust. It's, a, it's something that I call God trust. Okay? I think you know what I mean by God trust. It's the trust in which you can put your entire weight of trust and hope on and it will never not meet your expectation. It will never frustrate you. It will never disappoint you. God trust. But one of the things we have to be careful of is removing God trust from God and putting God trust in anything else. Because God trust can only be fully understood and fully satisfied, accomplished with God. That's all. That's all. Now, why do I say that? I want to take you through several incidents in the life of Moses. But you understand, this lesson is not about Moses. But I want you to see some incidents in the life of Moses, and I want you to put yourself there. Okay? It's Moses, Aaron, you, and me. Okay? We're going to stand right beside these guys. You're on one side, me on the other. And we're going to see what's going on. Because every once in a while, I continue to remind you uh, in, our, in our studies that it's very easy to read the stories of the Bible and not really understand and experience those stories in the way that they need to be read and understood. You know the story up to about chapter 4. Up to about chapter 4, you know in Genesis and and up to chapter 4 in Exodus that 
the children of Israel, these people that have come out of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they start doing things that were not pleasing to God. And God talked about and, and predicted this uh, Egyptian bondage. And this bondage was going to go on for years to try to punish and to try to discipline the children in doing the things that they were supposed to do. In putting what? God trust back in God. Okay? That's what they were supposed to be doing. And after 400 years or so, a little bit more, God says, I've heard my children crying. I've heard my children crying in Egypt, and I want to bring them out. It's time for them to come out. And Moses, I choose you to be my spokesperson. You are going to talk for me, and you're going to deliver my people. Now, you understand it had nothing to do with Moses, okay? It had to do with God. But Moses was the one chosen by God. And verse three, uh, chapter 3, verse 11, Moses said, Who am I? And verse 12 says, God says, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. So, excuse me, let me, let me uh, modify what I just said. It's going to be Moses. It's going to be Aaron. It's going to be you, it's going to be me, and it's going to be God. Okay, because God's going to be there. God's going to be with him. So let's look in chapter 4. Chapter 4. You understand that Moses has given all kinds of excuses up to this point. <laughs> you know, who am I? I, I you're, you're, you're picking on the wrong guy. You're going to be sorely disappointed. I am not going to meet your expectations. I can't talk. I can't do all these negotiations that you're wanting me to do. God says, I'm going to be with you. And there were some things. He said, I'll tell you what. I'm going to give you some signs to go to the elders of Israel in Egypt, and they're going to believe you. They're going to believe that I have sent you. And the first sign is this, and I want you to look in, in verse uh, 2 of chapter 4. Then the Lord said, what is that in your hand? I mean, God's getting frustrated. God's getting fed up with Moses' excuses. And he says, just, let's just take a common uh, object, okay? What's that in your hand? Well, it's a stick. It's a staff. It's a stick. And God says, throw it down on the ground. Moses threw it down on the ground and it became a serpent, a snake. And he what? Ran from it. <laughs> Stop. Are you getting this? What is it? What is this? It's something he's been using for shepherding. It's used for correction. It's used for guidance. It's used for protection. It's used for many common things. And he just threw that thing down, and God made that into a snake. In fact, he made it into a snake 
that you run from. It had to have startled him. Are you kidding me? He gave him two more signs, the hand in, you know, in, in his breast, and then it comes out leprous. And then he said, if they don't believe you with a second time, then go with it, get some water out of the Nile and pour it out and it'll be blood. But he gave him that stick. And I want you to notice something, because this is important. This is very important. God is going to say in verse 17, take this stick that's in your hand so that you can perform miraculous signs with it. Okay? So I'm trying to set up the scenario so you can follow this throughout this this, uh this little presentation that that the writer's going to do. God said, take the stick with you to Egypt. So later on, later on, verse 20, just a few verses down, so Moses took his wife and his sons, put them on a donkey, and started back to Egypt, and he took the stick. He took the stick. Okay? So we've gotten down that far. Now, let's go over to chapter 7. Chapter 7. What happened in the intervening chapters? Uh, there's, There's so much going on. I don't have a lot of time to talk about that. But overall, he's he's talking about... He's talking about this, this uh, uh, he's going and talking to Pharaoh. Pharaoh's going to be angry. He's going to say, fine, go without straw. You know what the, the story is all about. If you've seen Charlton Heston, you, you, you understand the story, right? <laughs> no, you, you go back for the Bible. Char, Charlie didn't do it exactly the way the Bible asked. But anyway, you kindly get the story and and. Everybody's mad at him now because the quota of bricks can't be any less, but they've got to get, glean their own straw. And now the people are mad at Moses. And he's in a really precarious situation. And he goes up to, to uh, Pharaoh in chapter 7, and starting in verse 8 and following he is going to try to get Pharaoh's attention. Now, God has already said, Pharaoh is going to harden his heart. Pharaoh's not going to listen to you, but you keep doing what I tell you to do. So he goes on, and what happens? He throws that stick back down, and guess what happens? It turns into a snake. Uh, Repeat performance. What did the magicians do? They did the same. But what did Moses' stick do? It swallowed the others. It swallowed the others. Folks, are you starting to get a little picture of this stick? This stick is a powerful stick. Really nice to have. Going down to verse 19, this is, or, or 14, this is where the plagues start. And you know there are ten plagues. Now, I don't know if you've ever noticed this before. In the, in, in the one with the blood, 
Remember what it says down in verse 19? The Lord said to Moses, take Aaron, or tell Aaron, because he's, he's going through Aaron, but it's still Moses, take your stick and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the streams, the canals, the ponds, the reservoirs, they will all turn to blood. Blood will be everywhere in Egypt, even the wooden buckets, even the stone jars. Moses and Aaron did just as God commanded. They raised their stick in the presence of Pharaoh and his officials and struck the water of the Nile, and all the water was changed into blood. The fish died. It smelled. No one could drink anything. The magicians did the same and started digging along the Nile so people could at least have some drinking water. But if you look in 21, at the end of verse 21, it said blood was everywhere. Everywhere. What an incredibly powerful stick. Plague number two, seven days later, chapter eight. Seven days later, here come the frogs. I want you to think about this. I don't particularly like frogs. I don't blood, like blood everywhere either, but I don't like frogs. And it says, you know what he, he said? I'm going to put it in their palace. I'm going to put it in their bed chambers. I'm going to put it in their kneading bowls and in their ovens. I'm going to have it do go everywhere. And the weird part about it was, after a little while, they're going to die in the houses. They're going to die in the courtyards. They're going to die in the fields. And this land is going to reek with dead frogs. And you know how it was done? How it was done? The stick. The stick. Pharaoh asked that it be withdrawn, and they withdrew to the Nile. But that's still a powerful stick. Plague number three. The gnats. The gnats. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, verse 5, Stretch out your hand with the stick over the streams and canals and ponds. And uh, Sorry, 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 I'm on the gnats. Verse 16, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, stretch out your stick, uh, it's the same old thing, and strike the dust of the ground. The dust of the ground. And throughout the land of Egypt, the dust will become gnats. They did this. And when Aaron stretched out his hand with the stick and struck the dust of the ground, gnats came upon men and animals. All the dust throughout the land of Egypt became gnats. This is the third plague. This is just the third plague. And by the way, do you know what? The magicians couldn't do this. And do you remember what the magicians said about this particular plague? It is the finger of God. It's the finger of God. We can't do this anymore. We can't, we can't figure this out. We can't fool people. We can't pull a, a rabbit anymore out of our hats and, and do what God is doing. I don't have, see any record 
of number four, number five, or number six using the stick. I think it was probably used, but I'm going by the biblical record. So if you'll go over to uh, chapter nine, starting in verse 13, we are on the seventh plague. And you know, remember the seventh plague was the hail. The hail. And in verse 14 of chapter 19, it says, there's something you've never seen before. God said, after six plagues, I'm about to pull the full force of these plagues and hit Pharaoh with it. He is going to see the glory of my power. And in verse 15, verse 15, he is to tell Pharaoh... Look, God could have wiped you off the face of the earth by now if He had wanted to. All these things that you have seen are, were for your, your, your benefit, for your help. He could have wiped you out, but you won't listen. So in verse 22, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the sky so that the hail will fall all over Egypt, on man and animals and every growing thing in the fields of Egypt. When Moses stretched out his stick toward the sky, the Lord sent thunder and hail and lightning flashed down to the ground. So the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. Hail fell and lightning flashed back and forth. It was the worst storm in all the land of Egypt since it had become a nation. The worst storm. In fact, in fact, some of the people, some of the officials got so afraid and believed Moses that they ran out and got their servants and their animals and brought them in to safekeeping, but some of them didn't listen. And guess what happened? Men, animals died. The barley fields, gone. The smelt fields, gone. All those, or actually it was the flax and the barley this time, destroyed. I have been, I have seen thunderstorms come across a field and I have seen like like you, you realize rain starts and stops in certain places I've seen the, the edge of a field just be riddled there is nothing left in fact it said it was so bad it stripped the trees in this particular plague what a stick Going down to verse or chapter 10, here's the locust, the eighth plague. The eighth plague. And verse 2 says, This is something that you can tell your children and your grandchildren about. The eighth plague with locusts, verse 12. And the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over Egypt so that locusts will swarm over the land and devour everything growing in the fields, everything left by the hail. There's not much left, but the locust is going to take care of the rest of it. So Moses stretched out his staff over Egypt, 
there's that stick again. And the Lord made the wet east wind blow across the land over uh, all night long, all day long. The morning, the wind had brought the locusts, and they evaded, invaded all of Egypt and settled down in every area of the country with great numbers. Never before had there been a plague of locusts, nor will there be ever again, not to that extent. Not to that extent. In verse 7, it was very interesting. Do you notice what the officials said to Pharaoh? They said, Egypt is ruined. Egypt is ruined. Are you telling me this is not a powerful stick or what? When he touches the ground, things happen. When he touches the water, things happen. When he touches the sky, things happen. And then you skip over to chapter 12. Chapter 12 is that, uh, 11 and 12 is, is that last plague, the killing of the firstborn. And chapter 12 talks about the Passover, talking about that lamb. It tells you when and where and how this Passover is to, be, to take place. They're to eat this roasted lamb, a year old, without blemish. And they're to put the, the blood on the sides and, and, and the door uh, frame of the house to protect themselves. The blood protects you from the death angel that's coming. And do you remember how they're supposed to eat it? They are supposed to eat it, verse 11, with their cloak tucked in their belt, their sandals on their feet, and their sticks in their hand. They do it with a stick in their hand because they've got to make haste for the Lord's Passover because he was about to strike the firstborn and bring judgment on the gods of Egypt. So here you are, here you are, and you've got this idea of a very powerful, very powerful stick. Turn over to chapter 14. Chapter 14. The people have come out of Egypt... The people have come out of Egypt. God has made them favorably disposed to the Israelites. The Israelites basically plunder Egypt as they're going out, taking silver and gold and all kinds of, uh, of, of, of possessions out with them. And here they are. And I want you to read this uh, during this week that God did not take them the shortest route because the shortest route would have led them through Philistine country and they would have come up against a very brutal type of war and God was afraid that they might turn back and go back into Egypt. So He took them the long way around, the, the desert road around to the Red Sea. He was looking after them every step of the way. And it was very interesting because if you'll look, if you'll look, it says he wanted to do it. Uh, verse, chapter 14, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell Israelites to turn back and, and, and camp in these particular places and they are to camp by the sea 
And verse 3, Pharaoh will think that they're wandering around in confusion. Do you see the strategy God was using? He said, I want you to go this way, and then I want you to go this way, and then I want you to go back this way. Pharaoh's going to think you're confused, and Pharaoh's going to come out boldly with his army and come after you. And God is going to show his final act of power over the Egyptians. All the people start screaming and crying. If not, God as a pillar of, of, of cloud and a pillar of fire by night it is not enough for you to understand God is with you. They start crying out, saying, I can't believe you brought us out here to die. The, the, the fire goes back behind the Israelites. One part is dark, one part is light. And guess what happens? You guessed it, verse 16. Raise your stick and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so the Israelites can go uh, through the sea on dry land. On dry land. Guess what happened? What happened? Swing it back around and it's going to kill an entire army. An entire army. That is a powerful stick. Go to chapter 17. Go to chapter 17. The whole Israelite communities in the desert of sin. This is after chapter 16, the manna and quail, all the provisions God has provided. And here they are and they're struggling and they're quarreling and they're complaining and they're testing God. And verse 5, the Lord answered Moses, Walk on ahead of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the stick with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand uh, there before you at the rock of Horeb. Strike the rock, and the water will come out of it, and the people will drink. So Moses did that in the sight of the elders of Israel, and they called it Massa, testing, and Mirabah, quarreling. But I want you to understand, <clears throat> with striking that stone with that stick, watered an entire nation of Israel. People, animals, everything. Incredible stick. Right after that, starting in verse 8, you've got the Amalekites who came out for battle. Starting in verse 9, Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out and fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on the hill with the what? Stick of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Israelite, I mean the uh, Amalekites. And as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands with that stick, and the Israelites were winning, whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. Here he is again. 
fighting an entire battle. That's not the stick fighting the battle, but when the stick goes up, they win. When the stick goes down, they lose. Are you getting the picture? From the very beginning, the stick has done incredibly wondrous things. Now I'm going to take you outside Exodus and take you to Numbers. I'd like for you to turn to Numbers chapter 20. Numbers chapter 20. Once again, they're in the desert. Miriam has died and is now buried. And the people gather together in opposition of Moses and Aaron. Why? They're already getting manna. They're already getting quail. We're thirsty again. We're thirsty again. They've seen what happened last time, but they're thirsty again, and they're saying, we're not going to have any water. We're going to die. What's going to happen? They're going to to, uh, uh, hurt Moses. And in verse 7, I want you to listen very carefully to what he says. I I don't want you to miss this. The Lord said, chapter 20, verse 7, Numbers. The Lord said to Moses, take the stick. There's a reason for that. Take the stick. And you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock of the community so they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the stick from the Lord's presence as he has commanded him. He and Aaron listened, or gathered the assembly together in front of the rock. And Moses said to them, listen you rebels, must we bring out water uh, out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and he struck the rock twice with that stick. Water gushed out, the community and the livestock drank. Now, if the story ended there, you might think, Moses, maybe he didn't hear God, maybe he didn't, whatever, but listen to the very next verse because it's the key to the the whole presentation tonight. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me, Enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites. You will not bring this community into the land I will give them. You didn't trust me. What had happened? What had happened? Maybe. Just maybe. Moses had taken his God trust and put it in that stick. He might have put it in himself. But I think more likely, following the pattern, he started seeing that stick as big stuff. 
And he forgot. He forgot. Who's behind that stick? Now, why is that important to us? It's important to us because of this. What has God given you? He's given you some sticks, haven't He? It might be some CDs. might be some IRAs. It might be 401, you know, all those numbers. Your little gold and silver thing. It might be property. It might be homes. It might be cars. Stuff. God's given you talents and abilities. Don't tell me He hasn't. He has. You can do certain things. God's given you people around you. What does that have to do with anything? It has to do with it because God's given it to you. God's given you stuff. God's given you people. And at any given time, we can take our God trust and start putting it into anything we have around us. We might put it in our wealth. That might become our security rather than God. We might put it in our uh, looks. Not me, but some people could. You might put it in your athletic abilities. You might put it in other abilities that you have. You might even put it in people. Because if you put your God trust in a person, whatever that person says, whether it aligns with the Bible or not, you're going to follow that person. You're going to do what they say. Or you're not going to have the gumption not to do what they tell you to do because they're not telling you God's way. We all have common gifts in abundance. But are we continuing to trust in God and allowing God to use those in our life for good? It's always interesting to me when it, when it says things like, uh, let your light so shine before men. I thought we were supposed to be humble. It, you, you missed the point. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. It's okay for them to see it. If what? You're glorifying God. You're not bringing the glory to you. Over and over again it says, trust in God. 1 Corinthians 3 talks about uh, Apollos and, and Paul and they're, they're bickering back and forth about I'm with Paulus and I'm with Paul and all that stuff. And he said, look, I plant seed. It's not even my seed, it's God's. Apollos waters that seed. It's not even his water, it's God's. So who really is the big honcho here? It's God who makes it grow. It's God who makes it grow. We put our God trust in God and God alone. God alone. We do not put His trust in anything or anyone else. But we're very tempted to do that. 
it's very easy for us to have our own sticks that we can be extremely proud of and start putting our confidence in. And that's not what God wants us to do. God wants us to continue to praise Him. Whatever you do, whatever you have, bring Him the glory. Bring Him the glory. And you sit there and say, well, you know what? I don't have a lot. I just don't have a lot. Don't belittle what God has provided you. Remember this. Remember that little woman who didn't have anything, but she had that, that perfume, and she went in and, 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 and you know washed Jesus' feet with it. And the, the apostle said, that could be a soul, you know. And Jesus said, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? And I love this word he uses. There's two particular words in the Greek. Agathos, which means good. It's good. There's a kalos, which means beautiful. And he said, she has done a beautiful thing. A beautiful thing. She didn't have a lot. But what she had, she gave to him. And later on, he said, she did what she could. That's what he wants from you. It's what he wants from all of us. He wants us to do with what he has given us. No more, no less. He does not want you to do the the, the, the five talent, if you've got two, but he expects you to use the two. And if you've got one, you better be using it. And if you've got five, you better be on your knees praying that you're using those. God trust, putting God first, God focus, God, God. If there are those here tonight who have lost sight of that, you can come and the elders can pray for you. If there are those who, tonight who have never named Christ as your Savior and Lord, we'll be happy to help you with that also as we stand and sing. Why do you...
We come to this table to partake of this fruit of the vine that represents that precious blood that Christ shed upon the cross for us. Help us to always remember to partake of it with love and kindness in our heart and remember that great sacrifice that he made for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
with uh, the Lord in prayer. Almighty God in heaven, Father, we thank you for these blessings that you give us every day. The blessing of life and all of the needs and necessities and luxuries that you give us each and every day that we enjoy. Father, we know that all good things come from you. We ask that you please take this contribution, let it be blessing and multiplied and used in your service, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.